This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. It's great to have you with us for another broadcast. No, I am not going to forget the scandal in the Southern Baptist Convention. I know they are employing the weighted out strategy at the top echelons of that denomination because they have a big problem. They have a president who is newly elected as the head of the denomination, 15 million strong, give or take a few million. And he has been revealed to have been a sermon plagiarizer in a lot of sermons. And there is another tentacle of this scandal that touches on the immediate past president of the SBC, J.D. Greer, who also has his own issues in his sermons. And then we have the issue of Docent Research Group, having been behind a lot of sermons that you might hear in your local church. They are sermon writers or exegesis givers for hire, as it were. And there has been a lot of discussion about this, and then it just kind of goes nowhere. Have you ever wondered why that is? Well, think about this in a secular context. In the secular context, when the media wants a story to go away, the best way that they know to make a story go away is they ignore it. They ignore it. And if it becomes too much of a hot potato for them to ignore, then they start employing other strategies. Then they start excusing inexcusable behavior. Or then if it gets really terrible, they make sure that the people who they like will mount some kind of defense that deflects the entire thing. Or they'll start attacking their enemies and try to go after people on the other side of the aisle to make sure that your real concerns are with that guy. It's certainly not with me. I'm not the problem. I don't care if there are only four people out there who have been paying attention to this story. Four people does not make a small story, and 14 million doesn't make a huge story. The story is the story, and the fact of the matter is Ed Litton, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, should resign. He should step down. And it isn't just because of the plagiarism. It's also because of the whole issue of cover-up. Am I losing my mind here? No, I'm not losing my mind here. And I don't need anybody's okay in order to observe what I am observing. And there have been some very astute people, especially on social media, who have been keeping up the pressure on Lytton, and Lytton is just ignoring it. And you can hear almost, imagine the whispers behind the scenes. If we just ignore it, boys, it'll go away. Because our friends in the media... And don't forget, there were a lot of good friendships formed under the Russell Moore era. Russell Moore is no longer in the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But while he was there, he employed a very bright strategy for making sure that his agenda would get headlines. And he was supposed to be the reasonable evangelical leader. No, he was a divisive man to the hilt. He was trying to divide and conquer the SBC. And in large measure, he managed to do it. And he had a lot of help. He had a lot of help in the top echelon of the Southern Baptist Convention. And he made a lot of good friends in the media. Oh, they 
were buddies. I mean, he's at Christianity Today now. Now that that is his home page, Christianity Today. Hey, they hate Trump. They're liberals. They're progressives. They're all in with the woke stuff and the critical race theory. They love Revoice. I mean, name something. That's his tribe, as they like to call the people you hang around with or the people you align with. Your tribe. Christianity Today is his tribe. Buddies with the New York Times. Buddies with the Washington Post. Getting covered by the Atlantic. Jonathan Merritt, the former uh, president of the SBC's son, and this was the same guy, James Merritt, uh, who I used a clip to remind you about, uh, actually said at a conference back, I believe it was in 2007, that if you wanted to use his sermon material on Father's Day. Just go ahead and we won't call it plagiarism. Okay, that's his dad. So all of these people who were wonderful little echoers of everything that Russell Moore wanted to get out during the entire course of his reign at the top of the ERLC, they're just kind of, you know, whistling, kicking the curb. There's no news here. If we just wait it out, it'll go away. Well, I'm not playing that game. And I want to salute every single person There are small numbers, but I'm hoping they will grow, of Christians who say enough is enough of this corruption. It's not just the matter that Ed Litton has a duty to step down and has been deceptive on other matters as well. This guy is completely, completely unfit for the ministry. He's unfit to be the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. It's just a fact. And he has all of these people, all of these people who wanted him to win the presidency, who are whistling and kicking the curb. Think about all these big names, J.D. Greer and Al Mohler. And wh- why aren't these guys speaking up? Danny Aiken, the heads of the seminaries. Why aren't they speaking up? Do you think they would pause for a moment to point out if Mike Stone were a plagiarist? Do you think they would keep quiet if Mike Stone had won the election and it was revealed that he had been plagiarizing material in his sermons? You really think they would shrug their shoulders about plagiarism? No, and I'll tell you why, because it's partialism. And I'm not talking about the heresy of partialism that Ed Linton had on his website before he was caught and took it down. I'm not talking about that partialism. I'm talking about the biblical idea of partialism, where Jesus says, you know, you have a man come in who's a rich man and you show him the, the nicest seat in the synagogue and the poor man comes in, sorry, buddy. You're out of luck. That is not the way of Jesus Christ. We do not play favorites with certain people and shun others. That's absolutely out if you're a Christian. And it's the same when it comes to sin. If it is wrong for the guy next door to plagiarize perhaps your daughter in school and use her material as his own, then it is wrong for any pastor to plagiarize either a book or a sermon. And it is wrong for a no-name pastor to do it. And it is really wrong for somebody at a top echelon of a denomination to do it. So I'm going to stay on this story. I'm not going to necessarily talk about it nonstop. I'm going to keep up the pressure. As you guys know, if you followed me for any length of time, I don't like plagiarism. Nobody, no Christian should tolerate plagiarism, and I don't care who does it. It doesn't matter to me who does it. It does not matter to me. You don't do it. You have to have integrity as a Christian. Now, this brings me to Russell Moore's latest interview. I know you're going to be excited about this. PBS. Can you play? And PBS, by the way, has PBS done a big thing on Ed Litton being a plagiarist? Man, I must have missed that story. Christiana Monpour and Co. and Company is basically what it stands for. It's a show over on PBS. I've never read it or watched it, I should say. But we all know Christiana Monpour of CNN. Uh, this was just incredible. I can't describe it. You have to hear it for yourself. And I want you to listen to Michelle Martin gushing over who she calls Pastor Moore. Listen to this. Cut one. 
obviously many people are familiar with your work, but for those who are not, I mean, you have been one of the most high profile evangelical leaders in the country for many years now. For some people, you probably are the face of of, uh, the evangelical movement. When did it start to go wrong for you? When did things internally start to chafe? When did you start to notice some sort of friction there? Well, I don't think that things uh, went wrong. I think in some ways things went very right uh, in that I I came to see uh, new uh, ways to equip Christians um, and and God doing a new thing. And frankly, within the Southern Baptist Convention, the people in the Southern Baptist Convention were overwhelmingly not just supportive, but um, but beyond uh, supportive and, and loving and affirming. My board uh, was as well. I think that what I was starting to see was the same thing that virtually, I mean, almost every pastor I'm talking to right now is seeing, uh, which is uh, a congregation where the vast majority of people really mm-hmm. want to love each other, uh, really want to follow Christ. And and sometimes there's a very small group uh, within that uh, congregation that doesn't want to. And, uh, and, and that creates a a different kind of temperature in the room. And so what a pastor has to decide is, uh, do I uh, continue working toward change in this congregation, which is usually uh, the way to go, or in other ways to say, maybe maybe I should be doing something different. Okay, first of all, you're not a pastor, but second of all, what, this is what he's really saying. The people who he classifies as not wanting to love and not wanting to follow Christ are the people who became problems for him. What he's really saying is if you're not on Russell Moore's woke side of the fence, if you're not all in on racial justice and open borders and all the other nonsense that he shoved down people's throats, and if you are a conservative Christian who he basically has not liked from day one, then you're not loving or following Jesus. And he just couldn't take you anymore. And that's why he finally had to leave, even though most of what he did was so terribly right. Uh, That's not how I remember it. There's much more to come. Stay with us. We'll be right back on Janet Meffer today. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT.
I was afraid, I was scared, I didn't know what to do. Everybody wanted me to have an abortion. The battle for life has heated up in our country, and standing for life is more difficult than ever. The Ministry of Preborn empowers young women in crisis to choose life. By letting an expectant mother hear her baby's heartbeat and see him on an ultrasound, she's 80% more likely to choose life for her baby. She did let me hear the heartbeat, and I was like, wow, it's something like living inside of me. It was a beautiful thing to hear. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country. Would you join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today and help women with crisis pregnancies choose life? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. We really need your help during these summer months when donations tend to slow down. Please help right now if you can. 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a Preborn banner to click at Janet Mefford. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, this interview that PBS conducted with Russell Moore, now the public theologian over at Christianity Today, which I just find hilarious. Uh, it's just so telling in so many ways, and especially in light of the fact that he positioned himself as head of the ERLC as such a moral guy. Boy, is he moral. You're about politics, but he's about the gospel. He's about the gospel. He's about ethics. He's about doing the right thing. He's about principle. Well, I'm about to blow that apart just by playing his own words for you. Let's go back to this Amanpour and Company segment. Michelle Martin is the interviewer here. And she asks Russell Moore, so why did you resign? This is cut two. Because I started to see God doing something new in terms of putting people together uh, from multiple denominations who have the same concern. So I was having conversation every single day uh, with Anglicans and Presbyterians and non-denominational people and, and others who were saying, it seems to me that we have a moment where we need to put the gospel first and we need to put the kingdom first and we need each other to do that. And so Christianity Today uh, being uh, the, the way that, that, uh, that the evangelical movement essentially launched um, in the in the post-war era, I think we have a very similar moment right now. Well, that's interesting. So much for a commitment to Southern Baptists. You know, I spent a lot of time as the head of the ERLC talking to Anglicans and Presbyterians and did it. What? Why weren't you spending time talking to Southern Baptists more? Why were you out there trying to hobnob with the big Eva elite? I just I want to be because he always had a higher agenda. He always had something beyond just the role of the head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, which is why he was a total disaster at it. This guy tried to make it sound as if he left his job because, you know, everything was going right. It was just, you know, those people who don't want to follow Christ. And, you know, you get to the point where you just can't take it anymore. Now he's revealing a little bit more. No, I was hobnobbing knobbing with my liberal big Eva friends. And, you know, there's there's more to do. There's there's more to see. Right. Which is why he doesn't even go to a Southern Baptist church anymore. How committed was he to Southern Baptist life and Southern Baptists? I know he liked to talk about his credibility as a Southern Baptist and his lifelong commitment to the Southern Baptists. But he left. Not only that, he dropped a couple of neutron bombs in the form of an email in the form of a leaked letter. Wink, wink, nod, nod. 
causing absolute havoc going into the Southern Baptist Convention. And it was all done on purpose. And I don't believe for a minute he didn't have a hand in it, in releasing it. Of course, nobody's going to talk about that. Oh, by the way, you can listen to it here with Michelle Martin raising the issue of what she referred to as Moore's blistering resignation letter. Listen to what she doesn't say, though. This is cut three. Your resignation letter landed like a rocket. It was leaked. I don't know who leaked it. I know that we've all read it. You've not denied that it is your words. It's blistering. It's absolutely blistering. You say that the presenting issue, you said, is not the former president. You say the presenting issue was the way the denomination itself or the leadership was dealing with sexual abuse, thing one. But you also say that you and your family face constant threats from white nationalists and white supremacists, including within the convention. Do you want to talk about that? Yes. Uh, yes. Well, that wasn't a resignation letter. It was a it was a letter that I had written to my board members. Just uh, they they pray with me and and uh, I was helping them to see some of the things that were going on. Yes. I mean, I think that um, there are very real issues within the, the church in almost every uh, denomination or communion or setting right now when it comes to these issues of racial justice and reconciliation and sexual abuse. I mean, I. I'm finding this as recently as just right before this uh, this interview, uh, talking to a pastor who's combating this within the congregation. And it can be uh, exhausting. It can be demoralizing. Uh, but it also means that there's an opportunity uh, for the people of God to do what's right. Oh, OK. Well, who leaked the letter? It's not like Michelle Martin asked him. Wouldn't that be a logical question for a journalist to ask Russell Moore? You know, it's very interesting that you sat on that for a long time before it was finally, quote unquote, leaked. Did you have anything to do with the release of that? And the timing of it was quite interesting as well, Dr. Moore. Did you have any hand in that? She doesn't even ask him. What does she care? He talked about constant threats from white supremacists and white nationalists, even in the convention. Prove it because you didn't name one person. And Mike Stone even came along and said, it's not true. It's just a lie. It's not happening. And this issue of sexual abuse and how it was handled. You know, there were people who came along who said what Russell Moore claimed in that wasn't even true. She doesn't even issue any kind of question about it which should tell you a lot about the state of journalism today. Then she asks him, when did you begin to see these things going on? Was this going on for a long time? Your concerns about racial justice? Here's Russell Moore. Cut four. I think uh, I think that issues of of racial justice particularly had always been uh, disturbing to me. It was one of the reasons why I went through a a spiritual crisis as a 15 year old uh, when I was looking at Bible Belt Christianity and seeing uh, a lot of very blatant racism and wondering how can these two things go together? I mean, one cannot read the Bible and and see the the actions of Jesus and seeing the sort of church that Jesus puts together and come to this kind of conclusion that, that racism is anything other than morally wrong. And so that's been a concern for me uh, for for all of my life. I think there are many people who are rattled by some of the things that we're seeing uh, in terms of, of sexual abuse and the treatment of sexual abuse survivors and uh, and cover ups taking place again, not just in in one setting and not just even within a church setting, but within uh, within multiple settings in the United States right now. But the church is called to better. And so we ought to be the place uh, that that is the toughest uh, on sexual abuse and the place that is the most caring 
for uh, survivors and victims of sexual abuse. I think that is something we must do better. Uh, Okay. Speaking of cover-ups, how about you talk about plagiarism, Dr. Moore, since you're so ethical and you're so moral and you paved the way on principle and you spent so much time lecturing the conservative Christians and the SBC and beyond about how unprincipled they were. Where are your principles? The guy that you helped usher in as president of the SBC has been revealed to be a serial sermon plagiarizer. Do you have any comment on that? Do you have any comment on the fact that your friends at the top echelon of the SBC are saying nothing? Do you have anything to say about why you have said nothing on your Twitter feed? Where you been, Dr. Moore? You're Mr. Principled. How about we talk about that cover up in the SBC? No, they don't want to talk about that. We're going to wait it out. We're not going to talk about that. Okay. You don't have to talk about that. Uh, Then Michelle Martin says, you know, white evangelicals were strong supporters of Trump. And they're also some of the most hesitant to employ these COVID-19 health measures. Why is that when they're supposed to be so pro-life? This is what he said. Cut five. I don't know. I I think we're in a a moment of a, a kind of crisis of credibility. Uh, that's one of the things that I've been speaking to uh, repeatedly. And and frankly, uh, what takes up most of my time and energy right now is talking to young evangelical Christians who are disillusioned and who are fighting against uh, cynicism, usually not yielding to it, but fighting against it. And they have every reason uh, to in many cases. So we, we really have a long project ahead of us of rebuilding uh, evangelical credibility on the basis of being the people who who uh, who are what we say we are and believe what we say we believe. I, I can't even I can't I can't I, I'm so tongue tied with the hypocrisy that I almost can't comment, but I'm going to anyway. You talk about a crisis of credibility about people you don't like who are Trump supporters, of course, set aside for a moment that there are legitimate reasonable reasons, if you want to say it that way, that people will refuse the COVID-19 vaccine, everything from underlying health concerns to natural immunity because they've already had COVID-19 and on and on. And there are some very legitimate reasons why people don't want to get the COVID-19 vaccine, which we've gone into on other shows. This guy has the gall to talk about a crisis of credibility as he sits there and runs down the same people that he ran down for years when he was in the ERLC position and doesn't have a word to to say about Ed Litton, doesn't have a word to say about his friends covering for Ed Litton. You know who has the crisis of credibility? You do, Dr. Moore, and so do your friends at the head of the SBC, as long as you are covering up the scandal and the sin of plagiarism at the top of the SBC. And yes, I am calling it out. Look, there are all kinds of things that need to be addressed in all kinds of contexts within any church body, sexual abuse being one of them. I've talked about this issue continually for nine years, sexual abuse in the church, long before the Me Too movement. So I'm completely on board with that issue. I think where there is racism, it does need to be repented of. Absolutely. We are one in Christ Jesus. We are united by faith in Jesus Christ. That needs to be trumpeted from the rooftops. But when these people are constantly pointing fingers at you and your family and telling you, oh, you have a problem. You don't care about racial justice. You don't care about pro-life because you don't want open borders and all of the leftist agenda for the borders. I'm done with it, folks. 
I'm done with all of this stuff. These people are taking the pie and shoving it in your face and trying to make it out like, you know, you guys are the problem with the crisis of credibility. We have no crisis of credibility. We're the bold moral leaders. Well, I think of Jesus's words in Matthew 23 when he was talking about the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And he said, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. Is that not a description of Dr. Russell Moore? He loves PBS in the Atlantic and New York Times. And what does it say? If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you, Jesus said in John 15. What does it mean when the media loves these guys? Just ask yourself that question. If you are a regular Southern Baptist or a Christian who's been concerned about this scandal, as I've been, ask yourself, Why does the media love these big Eva elites so much? And whose side are they really on if the world loves them so much? Just think about that for a moment. The normal place for any Christian in the context of the world is to be hated because they hated our Lord and Savior. These people need to stop the covering up and they need to call on Ed Litton to resign lest they persist in their crisis of credibility. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This Janet Meffer Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, I do not give to you. As the world gives, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. These are some very comforting words from the Lord Jesus Christ in John 14. And given the times in which we're living, that verse might strike you a little differently now than it may have only a few years ago. I know that's true for me. In Jesus, there is peace, regardless of what is going on in my life and regardless of what's going on in the world around me. But if you have trouble being at peace, even as a Christian, then you're going to want to stay tuned. Joining me now is Pastor Chip Ingram, founder and CEO of the Teaching and Discipleship Ministry, Living on the Edge. And today we'll be learning more about finding peace in Jesus as we discuss his latest book, I Choose Peace, How to Overcome Anxiety in a Stressful World. Chip, thanks so much for being here. How are you today? You know what? I am actually doing well today, Janet. I, uh, I'm, like everyone else, we all have challenges. I had just sort of unexpected second back surgery and a lot of pain, so I'm Ugh. getting to practice at a new level, um, everything we're talking about in this book. And I think that's that's always a good thing. So I really am doing well, recovering well. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. That is a really rough road to have back surgery, but we'll be praying for you that you have a swift recovery. I really salute you for being able to go on with life. That, that can be really a hard road to hoe for anybody. You know, when we're talking about peace, obviously the Bible has a lot to say about it. I think about Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your 
request to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is a very beloved passage, one of my favorites. What are we talking about when we talk about the peace that God has promised to us, specifically as believers in Jesus Christ, the definition that we're talking about of peace? How do you see that definition as we should understand it? Well, I think... First of all, sometimes you have to deconstruct. And in our world, peace is my circumstances and the things I want are kind of aligning at a certain time. So I have peace in my marriage or I have peace in my job or, you know, I have peace in my finances, but they're contingent on circumstances. Or, you know, maybe it's um, just emotional peace that we're having for a moment. When Jesus said, my peace, I leave with you, he basically says, my shalom. And it's not just the absence of conflict. It's the complete soundness, wholeness of health, mm-hmm. health of your soul, your mind. It's the harmony in your relationships. It's uh, doing what you were designed to do, fulfilling your purpose, and having the sense of peace. You have victory. I'm with you over your enemies and your struggles. So it's a much fuller peace that he promised those disciples and that he promised us. Well, right. It's interesting, too, because when you talk about peace, you think maybe of Mark 4, I believe it is, where Jesus is calming the winds and the waves and the disciples are freaking out while he's sleeping. And he says, basically, where is your faith? Where, you know, he's he's saying, why are you afraid? I'm here. Where is your faith? How much of peace and the peace that we have in Jesus has to do with our faith in him and our trust in him? Well, I think this is really key, Janet. Peace, uh, I like to put it this way, peace is a gift that if you're a follower of Jesus, you received him as your Savior, 100% of Christians have the peace of God, the shalom of God. But like all things, we possess it, but we have to appropriate. In other words, there's certain things that he has said, you'll experience my peace, even exactly the passage. There's a way to pray during anxiety that the peace of God will rule into your mind and heart. Uh, A little bit later, he's going to say, there's a way that you renew your mind, and there's certain habits that the God of peace will be with you. So, yeah, I think it's really clearly related to when we're abiding in him, uh, his words are abiding in us, uh, there's peace. It, It rules in our hearts. In fact, Colossians 3 will talk about the peace of God kind of acts like an an arbitrator, or in our words, like an umpire. Hmm. You know, people are watching the Olympics and, and say, you know, in volleyball, it goes out, and they lift the flag up, it's out. Well, sometimes when we feel the peace of God leave, it's the sense of, oh, you're out of bounds. Get, get back, let's abide again. Hmm. Uh, that was unrighteous anger. That was a temptation that you caved into. Or, you know, that's God's peace is a gift, but we have choices to make to experience that peace in our everyday life. Well, we do. And I know people might say, I I know I have peace with God positionally. For example, when we look at Ephesians 2 saying, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. We have peace with God because of what Christ did on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, securing that peace. So positionally, we're at peace with God because of our faith in Jesus Christ. But you're talking about peace in the practical terms of life where you are appropriating it, as you said before, that we are at peace, but we need to appropriate that. In what sense do we choose peace then, to, to go back to the title of your book? 
Well, it's um, let, let's go to where people are living. COVID, uh, there's a new strain. I have fear. I have anxiety. My child has anxiety about going back to school. Uh, there's anxiety about what about the finances? What about the trillions of dollars of debt? What about the future? What's going to happen? When anxiety like that is knocking at the door of our hearts, the very passage you quoted, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, would say, let biblical prayer, not any kind of prayer, let biblical prayer answer the door when anxiety knocks. Hmm. Anxiety is like everything else. It's just a temptation. And it's, it's anxiety is projecting into the future to get us not to trust God in the present. Right. And so it's like, okay, are you ready? Anxiety about, I mean, I just had it. My wife and daughter and son-in-law are all traveling. And I was just preparing my day, spending some time with the Lord, doing a little bit of workout, and this thought comes to my mind. What if they were in a car wreck and all three were killed? Mm. Well, I know that I, my wife and I are to take care of, she has four small kids. The thought came to me, what would I do at this stage of my life with an eight, a six, a four, and a two-year-old? Yeah. And, and you know, okay, I, I was tempted to be anxious. Instead, what's he say there? He says, okay, not just any prayer like, oh, God, help me. It's with all prayer, it's a general word for adoration, to pause, to examine, to remember he's sovereign, he's in control, yeah. he's powerful, he's all-knowing, he's good. And then with petition, what, what are the needs? What are the specific needs? With thanksgiving, and then bring your grocery list, and you offer those things, and you deal with that very specific anxiety moment. And God says, as you do it in that way, he changes your perspective. You focus on what you have instead of what you don't have. You take those fears and specific things and you literally cast them over to him and he gives you peace. So we're talking about the, the functional everyday experience of this calm. You know, we all know some believers that walk closely with the Lord and, you know, maybe a mate is going through cancer or maybe they lost their job or They've gone through horrendous things in COVID, and you sit with them over coffee or a Coke, and you, you look at them and you say, there's this calmness, this peace that you have. How do you have that in the midst of all that you've been through? Right. And what we're actually observing is them abiding in Christ. That's good. And, and, and it, doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that they don't have any problems. It doesn't mean but what they're experiencing is that God of peace, he, he's with them. Yeah. That peace, that gift, they've tapped into the gift in such a way where the Spirit of God that dwells in all of us is manifesting the very same Jesus who said to the, to the waves, stop it right now, <laughs> be still, and they did. Yeah. That Christ lives in us, and all he wants us to do is abide that he might manifest his personality and presence in our life, and when he does... There's a supernatural peace that is beyond human comprehension, but it's available to all of us. That's what I want people to get. That's what the book is about. It's for us ordinary people, not just, you know, the, the great saints of the world. Yeah. It's for Chips and Janets and John and Marys. It's good news. It's such good news. And and you consider even the life of the Apostle Paul, who was penning those words, you think about what he went through as a Christian. And if he could talk about the peace of God that passes all understanding, how much more applicable is that to us in our day? We're going to come back with Chip Ingram, his book, I Choose Peace, here on Janet Meffer Today. We'll be back right after this. 
This is Janet Mafford. We're partnering with Bible League International to send God's word to 1,500 Bibleist believers in Africa, in many parts of countries like Kenya, Tanzania, Ghana, and Mozambique. As many as nine out of 10 Christians are denied God's word because of corrupt governments, majority religions, remoteness, and poverty. They've never been able to read 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. Reading that promise of God means everything to you and me. And now it will mean so much to these Bibleist Christians in Africa when you respond. Here's Pastor John in Mozambique. One occasion, I find a pastor that was leading a church of 90 church members. And he was having one Bible that was starting from Exodus and ends to the Ephesians. And he was leading the church with that Bible. So, when we went to give them the Bible, imagine joy. They sang, they danced, they cried, and they praised God for the gift of the Bible. $5 sends one Bible, $100 sends 20, $500 sends 100, and your gift of any size will help us meet our goal of sending 1,500 Bibles to Africa. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D, or there's an Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Actually, the, the need is great. If you could remember the other picture of a lady who was trying to show me the Bible that Pastor, I understand you work with Bible, but we don't have Bibles here. So that, that, that lady had a Bible from Exodus to the book of Hebrews. That's all. You see that? So there is a great need of Bibles. Send God's word to a Bibleist believer in Africa today for only $5. Call 800-YESWORD. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, peace is a wonderful thing. It's great to have peace with God, and it's wonderful to abide in the peace of God, even in troubling circumstances. Pastor Chip Ingram is joining us. I Choose Peace is the name of his book, How to Overcome Anxiety in a Stressful World. You did a great job, Chip, I thought, going into that break, describing how it is you can deal with anxiety and apply some of these passages of Scripture about God's peace in that moment. Now, one of the other things that you talk about is choosing peace in relational conflict. Now, that's an interesting category, but I think one we're all familiar with. How do you advise Christians to choose peace when there is conflict? Well, what people will understand as they kind of go through this book is that it really is unpacking Philippians chapter 4. And I loved what you said. You said, you know, the Apostle Paul, you know, how he experienced this. What's interesting, he's writing this one from prison. Yes. Yeah. He, he has peace. In, in fact, the, the theme of the book is joy. And uh, it's, it's interesting, by the time he gets to chapter 4, uh, he talks rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice in the Lord always. That's wonderful. And then he's wrapping up the book, and then he talks about two women. They both love God. They've both been greatly used by God, and they can't get along. And, and I, just, I would just remind people that just because you have relational conflict, it doesn't necessarily mean there's a bad person in the room. Hmm. And so I, I would remind you first is that I don't know of anything that robs our peace more often than relational conflict. And whether it's with our mate or one of our kids or our roommate or our supervisor or a friend or someone at church, I mean, someone can say something or do something or we hear they said something about us 
or even give us a look that just feels like, what was that about? <laughs> and I just first want to say, relational conflict is normal. And then sometimes we lose our peace because we try really hard. I know early in our marriage, my, my wife and I both come from, um, our dads were in World War II, uh, very common, both ended up alcoholics, creates very dysfunctional families. So we get married and, um, you know, we love each other and we both love Jesus. And within six months, it's like, oh my, this, this is not working. <laughs> I mean, I, I, she loves God and I love her and she makes me nuts yeah. and, and vice versa. And you know, so we didn't have peace and we didn't have conflict. So there, there's times where uh, once you try really hard, you need outside help. Hmm. And it's interesting in this passage, the Apostle Paul talks about these two ladies And then he calls out someone in the church, must have been a a wise, good, godly counselor. He says, hey, uh, good fellow, what I want you to do, I want you to meet with these ladies, and and they're both valuable, uh, they're both wonderful, Uh, whether it was personality, miscommunication, expectations, all the normal stuff, I want you to help them get through this. And so as I walk through um, that passage, in relational conflict, here's sort of the five things that flow out of it that I'll just give to people quickly. One, stop procrastinating. (laughs) Don't, don't keep kicking that can thinking it's going to get better. Uh, Number two, evaluate your expectations and just realize people are normal. They're human. They're going to let you down. Or sometimes I think as believers, we expect unbelievers to act like Christians. Yes. And then we get all bent out of shape. Like third is, is get outside help. If you've worked really hard at it, you know, may, might be a friend, could be a pastor, could be a Christian counselor. Yeah, fourth is don't let one relationship ruin your life. I mean, some of us get so fixated. This has to be right. They have to understand this has got to work out. The scripture is clear. Be at peace with all men as far as it depends on you. Yep. Do all that you can. Right, Janet? Haven't you had a few relationships where you've just said, yes. you know what? <laughs> Yes. Uh, you know what? I, I just, I can't do any more, and I'm going to let this one go. And then the last one, and they, this is for some of us, I'm a justice junkie. Hmm. No, no, this is, they got to understand, this is right. <laughs> and, and sometimes it's just you have to say, having the right response is more important than being right. right. Is that they're never going to see it, um, but they'll see responding in the right and a gracious way and recognizing, um, you know, I've done all I can, but when when God evaluates this relationship, he wants me to have a righteous response. And I, I think of Jesus, Janet, of although he was reviled, he reviled not. Right. And, you know, I know a lot of believers right now are experiencing a lot of injustice, and that's not fair, and religious liberty, and, and you, know, you know, it says in First Peter that he's set an example that we should follow in his steps, and he's talking about suffering under injustice, that when we suffer for doing what is right, with peace, with a calm spirit, this finds favor with God. Yeah. And, um, and I think also it turns people's hearts. So, yeah, I think relational conflict is a, is a really big one, but I think he's given us a, a, a game plan to, to begin to walk through it. 
Yeah, that's really good and really, really applies to a lot of people's lives. I was thinking of Psalm 34 too, about seek peace and pursue it. That that really kind of seems to sum up what yeah. you were just saying in relational conflict. That's really important. You know, another category that you talk about in the book, Chip, which I wanted to hit on before we run out of time is choosing peace in tests of faith. Again, we can reference Paul. We can reference so many people in the Bible who really had trials and temptations that were overwhelming at times. And there are people I'm sure listening who are in very dire circumstances, if not now, then maybe in the future. How do you choose peace when everything around you is just in a state of upheaval? Well, I, that describes a lot of our world right now, doesn't it? And uh, it's interesting where the Apostle Paul could say, you know, I've learned the secret of, of peace or contentment, of, of being satisfied, of, of not freaking out. You know, those are some <laughs> of my, you know, restatements of that. But it's actually something that's learned. I think we, when the all world is falling apart, I mean, I think this is true of most of us. It sure is of me. I just so want to somehow feel like I'm in control. Hmm. That somehow, and, and, and we're living in a world now, well, there's a lot of it we can't control. There's a virus I can't see. There's uh, financial uncertainty. Uh, there's political divide. There's racial tension. Um, there's inside the church. I mean, I've got, I've got so many pastors that are friends and, and, you know, they'll privately say, you know, I, I don't know what to do, Chip. I said, what do you mean? Well, half the church emails me and says, if we open up, then they're leaving. The other half says, if we don't open up, they're leaving. And the other half says, if we wear a mask, we're leaving. <laughs> the other half says, you know, and, and, you know, if you voted uh, that color state, then I'm leaving. If you voted the other color state, he said, I've never seen so many that have division. And I think this is a time where we often quote this passage, but the passage is in the context of whether circumstances are good or bad, as I'm connected to Jesus intimately, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Hmm. And I think we need to help people remember that that means that I'm in his word and I'm renewing my mind and I'm obeying what I know. Sometimes we pull these verses out and say, oh, I, 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 that's not working for me. Right. Uh, and, you know, the, you know, David would say, um, if your word had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Hmm. Going through affliction, trying really hard just because you're a Christian does not mean you'll go through it well. Going through it desperately dependent, renewing your mind in fellowship with other believers, obeying what you know, and living out of desperate dependency, sharing your heart, God, the God of peace, will be with you in that situation. But just trying hard to be a nice person and a little bit more moral and going to church 1.6 times a month, which is the average for Christians now, hmm. you, can, you can be a follower of Jesus and have zero peace going down that trail. And honestly, Janet, the reason I wrote this book, I never dreamed it would come out at such a crisis time, was... So many believers are are missing. They're, they're living, starving emotionally and spiritually, and there's a banquet table available, and, and the Lord is saying, come in. Hmm. And I think a lot of them have no idea how to even enter. And um, that's my heart's desire, is to uh, help them understand there's a Father who loves them and wants to help. 
Well, this is this is absolutely critical, Chip, and I'm so glad that you've outlined all of this because we all need this reminder, and some of us need to hear it for the very first time, but it's all in the book, I Choose Peace, How to Overcome Anxiety in a Stressful World from Living on the Edges, Pastor Chip Ingram. Chip, thank you so much for being here again. Always nice to talk to you, and I hope your back gets better very, very soon. That's a hard situation to be in, but we'll be praying for you. Thank you very, very much. You're welcome. Thanks again for being here. And thank you for joining us on Janet Meffer today. Again, help us send Bibles to China. Help us send Bibles to Africa. 1,500 Bibles is our goal. We want to keep on going. 800 yes word, 800 Y-E-S-W-O-R-D. $5 sends one Bible. Thank you so much for your generosity.